Things could be stranger, but I don't know how I'm going through changes now I'd Spend a lifetime trying to figure it out Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Wonderfilled Week. I am your host, Caitlin Corey. I am honored to welcome the cognitive behavioral therapist and mindfulness mentor behind the brand, Being, Sadaf Siddiqui. Being is a mental health brand created to explore our emotions through the lens of science. Sadaf's goal is to use evidence-based methods to help explain why we think, feel, and behave in certain ways so that we can take better care of our being. One facet of being is an Instagram page dedicated to sharing original digital content to raise awareness and provide psychoeducation to her followers. Sadaf's graduate degree in mental health counseling from Johns Hopkins University emphasized wellness through a public health approach, so she learned to always use current research to support her work, so in conjunction with her digital content, she links applicable research to reinforce the messages she shares. Sadaf believes that people can improve their well-being by focusing on personal growth and development through a better understanding of their emotions. Through being, she has a private practice, which is currently run virtually, where she provides individual coaching sessions and designs wellness workshops for organizations on topics such as work-life balance and using emotions to make logical decisions. Sadaf believes that the way we address our mental health affects our entire being. Follow Sadaf on Instagram at your.being. Learn more about the services she offers on her website, www.sadafsadiki.com. And if you wish to become a client, email Sadaf at being.information at gmail.com. Without further ado, please welcome Sadaf Sadiki to the program. There's many reasons we are what we've become. Well, I'm honored to have you on the show today, and I'm excited to delve into all things mental health and wellness. So I have to begin by asking, what inspired you to go into the field of mental health? Yeah, it's a great question. I haven't answered this one in a while. Um, and it's, it's a little tricky of an answer because I actually never thought that I would be a mental health therapist. It's not like I went into a certain field thinking this is going to be my job. I think a few different opportunities just kind of led me into this path. I'm thinking back to when it really hit me it was probably in college. In my first year, I had this internship at a children's hospital. At that time, I knew that I wanted to work with kids, to love kids, um, adolescents. It was just, I loved it. And I knew I wanted to do something in that field. But, you know, working with kids is such a, a large field that I didn't really narrow it down at that point. So they put me in the behavioral unit at the children's hospital where I was shadowing a psychologist who was working with um, children, I think anywhere from five to like 15. And she was working on their development and then doing therapy with the parents after doing the assessments with the kids. So the combination of assessment, treatment, and therapy was just amazing to me because I saw all the benefits that it led to. Um, you know, I saw the impact that intervention had, and I knew right away that this was a thing that I wanted to explore. Um, and then still after that, I did a lot of research in psychology, and then eventually I realized, hey, if I want to do intervention, and I want to make changes, uh, this is the path to take. So I ended up getting my, my master's in mental health counseling, and here I am. Wow. I love, I love to hear the origin story because, you know, I really admire anyone who goes into the field, into any field that helps others. And uh, we were speaking about that before we started recording. And I just think, you know, it's always so interesting to see the way that people find find their path. And it's always a little different. It might not be exactly the one you had in mind. It might not have always been, I always wanted to do this since I was a little kid, but you sort of like have different life experiences and you, you take them with you and say, well, how can I manifest this or how can I cultivate this into a career? And you're doing just that and you're still helping people. And do you do you still work with children? Young adults. Um, so I started working with children and then the, what I really liked about working with kids was the focus on development. And at that time, I didn't realize that development is something that happens throughout your life. 
um, because we're so used to hearing child development and that's when it's the crucial years and it absolutely is, but you know, the development never really stops. So I became really interested in just how the transitions really work. And then as I got more experience and in internships working with an older population, I realized that um, I, I loved it and it's just as crucial as, you know, when we're kids. And the biggest difference is that when you're a kid, you know, you're not really in control of a lot. You have your caregivers, you have your teachers, um, you have babysitters, but as an adult, you are responsible for your own development. So I thought that was so powerful to be able to help people realize that and to make progress when things are in their control to, to some extent, right? Yeah, I really like that because it's true. We focus so much on child development, and that's really my background. I studied early childhood development, early childhood education in college, and I became a teacher, and I was a third grade teacher. And you're right, you know, we sort of, we put a lot of effort and energy into the children and their development in those crucial years. But you're, you're right, because when you become an adult, and I say this all the time, that they don't always teach us the things in school that we do need to bring with us in life. And I think that's where your field is huge and comes in, because we are still developing. There are different seasons of life, and we're always changing, and, and we don't have that guidance. And I think, I'm sure everyone feels this way at one time or another, that we're just like sort of making it up as we go along, and we're expected to sort of know what to do, but does anybody really know what they're supposed to do next? And it's kind of nice that there are people like you in your field who are helping guide us, and you're offering resources and offering services and help to us when we're trying to navigate, because different seasons of life can be really confusing, and you could feel lost, and that happens, like you said, at any age. So I really, really admire that. Yes, you said it perfectly when you said different seasons, different changes. Yeah. Yeah. And transitions too, right? Like, you know, that big transition from going to college into the workforce, workforce into potentially relationships and maybe even marriage or, or mother parenthood. And that's not for everyone, but there are different seasons of life and we're always ever changing. And so any guidance we could get, we, we need it, <laughs> I, I think. Yeah, and I know I personally need it, so I can't imagine why everyone else wouldn't benefit from it as well. Yeah. Well, like I said, I really admire you going into this field. And, and I'm always very open about speaking about mental health, whether it's my own. I'm, uh, I like to think of myself as a sounding board for my friends and try to talk things out, obviously not on a professional level. But I do I do encourage people in my life to open up about their mental health and, and to prioritize it. And I think I would say, well, I don't know if it's sort of that the conversation is changing or, or if I only follow accounts on my social medias that advocate for this type of thing. But I see a big flood of people opening up and speaking about mental health. But unfortunately, there are still many people who don't see value in discussing their mental health and may even look down on those of us who do. Do you think the stigma surrounding help seeking and tending to our mental health is slowly being lifted? I do. I see it a lot, especially with Gen Z. Um, I see it less with you know, our, my parents' generation, right? The baby boomers. Um, I see it a little bit with my generation, which is millennials, but I really see it with Gen Z. And I think that the more workplaces are open to having mental health days and, and just, you know, promoting different kinds of self-care and not just, you know, candles and, and, and bubble baths, but like real authentic self-care. I think that people are becoming more open to it. Um, people are asking for time off. People are being vulnerable with their friends about what they're going through. And then people are asking other people, hey, are you okay? Do you want to see a therapist? I think there's still a lot of stigma and, and shame and just, you know, lack of resources. But I think that the conversation is heading in the right direction. We have a lot of work to do, but it's moving slowly, but surely it's moving. And that's promising for our future generations. That makes me feel comforted because I'm in the same uh, generation as you and I, I have the similar experience with the generation before us where it's sort of not really talked about. I don't know about it and how you grew up, but it's not really talked about, not really offered um, you know, out in the open, not really suggested as one of the first things. It's more like you know, just you can do it, you're strong, you're tough, like you can just power through things. But we all sometimes we can't power through certain things. Uh, what was your experience growing up? I think I read in your bio, you grew up in a South Asian culture. And you witnessed a lot of people not discussing their mental health, and maybe even ignoring their mental health. Yes, completely. So I am Pakistani. So I grew up in a South Asian culture. That was my community. And I saw it all the time, people struggling. And when I was a kid, I wasn't able to identify what they were struggling with because we don't even have words for anxiety or 
or stress really, right? In, in our, in, our in, a, in a lot of South Asian languages. But we could see when people are struggling in some ways and also people being bullied and, and having depression, but we didn't know how to name it and we didn't talk about it. And if you did have an issue that you brought up to an adult or a grandparent, it would be like, you know what, like, you'll make it through or, or you'll be okay or it's not a big deal. You know, I had it much worse. So I think hearing those things makes you feel like you're you're weak and that you shouldn't be feeling that way and then you don't say anything. But what people don't realize is that a lot of people are feeling that way and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so yeah, I saw it all the time in my community and I think as I grew older into my field, like when I was you know in grad school and I knew that I was in this field, I also knew that I wanted to focus on you know, the experience of people who didn't grow up with having mental health around them. They didn't see it in TV shows and movies. I think kids these days are seeing it. Um, and even within my community, the, the movies that are made and the music, I think it addresses it a little bit, but it's not to the scale that it needs to be. And even within South Asian cultures now, it's, it's such a stigma. You know, um, a lot of South Asian people will be seeing a therapist, but will never tell their friends about it. Um, or, or they'll be embarrassed to, to ask about it. Or um, I get a lot of DMs from people within my community that I know that have asked me, which I love, and I'm so inspired by them to do it, but it's so secret. It's so hush-hush, you know? Um, but just imagine knowing that someone else is feeling exactly like you, right? It makes it so much easier to get through when you know you're not alone. Absolutely. And I have a, a sort of like back and forth relationship with social media where sometimes it can be like, a negative playground and you go there and it's a lot of comparing but you can go on there and find a lot of connection and I think that's sort of what I try to cultivate on Wonderfilled Week is is connecting with people like you and I connected and just learning and and sort of commiserating with others and like you said we're all going through something uh, but I have to ask now the people who are reaching out to you or even in your own family did you face any backlash going into this field because of the stigma within your culture? You know, in, in my culture, it's it's very much, um, so for instance, I'll give you an example. When I first decided that I was going to do mental health and maybe I wanted to be a therapist, you know, initially my, my parents were like, oh, but do you, if you're going to do this, you may as well just go to med school. And, and I was like, you know, there's nothing wrong with med school. And, and my parents were like, well, why don't you be a psychiatrist? And there's nothing wrong with being a psychiatrist. It's such an important field. But I wanted to do talk therapy because I recognize the power of that kind of intervention in combination with other things like medication. So I think it wasn't that I wasn't supported. I think once I realized how passionate I was and, and I am lucky to have you know, family members who were supportive and understood the need of this, but there was still a stigma of but like, oh, but why? Like, what is the benefit? And I think that was the disconnect because I saw through my work and my internships and my education that, hey, there is a benefit. This is research-based. This isn't fluff, you know? And because there's a benefit and there is also such a lack of South Asian therapists, I knew I wanted to do this. So I think after I, I did have to prove myself a little bit, um, but then I think after I broke through that first barrier, then it was easy to feel supported because people understood. Um, and also I think when you're really passionate about something, people get it. Right. Yeah. It shines through. And I can tell, even in just speaking to you briefly, I can see that you're passionate about this. When I visit your website and your social media, it's clear that the passion is there. And the science is there. Like you said, it's not fluff. You're using evidence-based science to back up the, the things that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the, the culture and the stigma, um, I think you're right. I think a lot of people who are raised, especially for, from parents in our, you know, our parents' generation, and especially with other cultures, there can be that feeling of weakness, like you said, or failure, like you're doing something wrong, or there's something wrong with you if you, if you need therapy or if you seek therapy. What about for the people who grew up in that, you know, in that culture, in that atmosphere and they themselves they know they need help but they feel that stigma within themselves they feel the shame within themselves what advice would you offer to them i love that question first of all i'm so glad you asked i think that if you're experiencing shame because of things that happened to you or, or the way that you were raised the most important thing to remind yourself is that it's not your fault so growing up, I think there are so many things, as I mentioned earlier, that are completely out of our control because we rely so much on other people to have our needs met. But as adults, we actually have to rely on ourselves 
because it's not anyone else's responsibility to unlearn those unhealthy patterns. So when it comes to shame, I like to explain it to my clients as another form of pain that you have to heal. So for instance, if you break your arm, you don't feel ashamed of the pain, right? You go see a medical professional to help you fix the issue, heal the pain that you have from a broken bone. So when you feel emotional pain, it's okay to see a mental health professional to help you recover. And I think this is an example of a way that I help people kind of rewire their brain to think of emotional pain the same way as physical pain. And I think a lot of just kind of understanding the logistics behind it helps you move away from the place of shame and just from a, to a place of knowledge, I guess. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And, and it's true. And I think people have no shame in their physical ailments, like you said. And if people could just understand that mental health is part of our physical health, if they could just equate those two things, then maybe we wouldn't be up against this, these sorts of stigmas. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're unlearning, we're unlearning, you know, generations of, of shame, trauma, and just, you know, thought patterns that just are not are not accurate or consistent with the way that humans actually feel emotions. So, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a path for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad that we're on it and I'm glad that it's moving, like you said, in the right direction. Well, looking at your website, it is remarkable and it truly showcases your passion for this subject matter. And it seems to me that accessibility is something that is important to you as you do offer pro bono work and you provide a lot of free resources on your website, www.sadafsadiki.com under the free resources tab, including a wellness kit, self-esteem guide, and a mind-body checklist, as well as many writing samples on an array of topics, including anxiety, regulating emotions, depression, emotional eating, panic attacks, and so many others. Why is accessibility and people having easy to obtain resources something that is important to you? So something cool that I learned as a therapist is that emotions are a commonality between all of us. So they're a shared experience. We all have them. The issue is that we don't all have equal opportunities to learn how to manage them, how to identify them, express ourselves. It's not something that we're taught as kids. And in some communities and, and countries, it's not even something that's talked about. And that's a problem because emotions impact every aspect of our entire being. They affect your friendships, relationships, not only with your family, but your partner, your coworkers, um, your job, your career, how you feel about yourself, and even how you move through the different stages, as you had kind of mentioned the transitions, it impacts so much. So why is it that we don't have access to resources that can teach us how to do it? If it's gonna be such an impact in our life, we should be able to have resources that help us actually understand and learn just like we do with everything else. Um, and it's just, it's not even something that is taught in elementary school, right? So just not having that accessibility, it's like, how do we expect ourselves to be, you know, healed and, you know, hold ourselves accountable if we don't really know how to manage the feelings that are behind all of those things? Um, so I, I, that's what I want people to be able to get. I want people to be able to have the resources to feel confident and, and be able to make the changes that they hear that they should make. It's really admirable. I have to say, I have a lot of admiration and respect and appreciation for you offering so many of these resources and services to those in need. Thank you. And I encourage my, anyone who's listening, who's looking for a starting point. I really found your website to be a really good starting point for someone who's new to this, who who knows they they need some help or they need some guidance and they just maybe don't really know where to begin because it can be overwhelming. There are a lot of different types of resources. Maybe you don't quite fit this box or that box or you don't maybe feel you're in need to this level. And, and I think that's the part of it too, is I think people think they need to be at their worst to get help. And I don't believe that's true. And I'm sure you don't either. And I just feel like maybe they're thinking, I want to learn more about this, but I'm not quite sure where to begin. So again, I encourage anyone who's listening who who that, you know, that fits you and how you are feeling right now. Again, visit www.sadafsadiki.com and anyone who's driving or working out right now and listening to this and is like, I can't write that down right now. Do not worry. I'm going to put all of your contact information, your website, Instagram, everything in the show notes. So no need to worry about that. It will all be there. So shifting gears, we are still in the midst of this strange season with the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns. People are home and have more downtime. And based on conversations I've been having with people in my life, people are really starting to look inward and reflecting on their lives, sort of taking a 
you know, taking inventory of themselves and thinking about, you know, maybe the decisions they're making, the course that their life is on, and and even thinking about their behavior patterns. So to those people who are doing a lot of introspection and personal development during this time, I would recommend visiting your Instagram page at your.being as you create a lot of digital content to raise awareness and provide psychoeducation to people in an easy to understand and a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing manner, which to me is everything, best of both worlds. <laughs> well, it takes me hours in Canva to do them, so I appreciate that you <laughs> appreciate them. Yes. I love the messages. I need it all, but I just it's just so much better when it's just beautiful to look at as well, for me at least. So can you offer any tips for people to support who are trying to support themselves as we navigate this trying time? And maybe tips for beginners who hope to learn more about themselves, but they just don't know where to begin. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the thing that comes to mind is that everyone is at such a different place in their life. You know, some people are at a place in their life where they are now open to receiving help and support and other people are not there yet. We go through so many different stages and not all of those stages are ones where we're open to receiving help. So I think really just having that self-awareness to make yourself open is, is the biggest thing because you could be going to a therapist, you could be reading self-help books, you could be doing so much, but if you're not open or willing to kind of not self-critique because obviously it's not criticism, but just be willing to hear. I think it's going to be hard to do anything. It's going to be hard to heal. It's going to be hard to take care of yourself. Um, I really think that the basis of everything is self-awareness um, in pretty much every single thing related to mental health. We have to know in order to make changes, in order to learn about ourselves and about other people. So I think having self-awareness is really, really important. And the ways to be more self-aware is to kind of let yourself sit with yourself, ask yourself the uncomfortable questions, you know, and if the answers are really difficult for you to hear yourself, write them down, share them with a therapist, share them with a trusted friend. Um, everyone is not comfortable saying it to a friend, then, you know, find a hotline. At this point, there are a lot of free resources, accessible resources, where you don't have to be face-to-face -face with someone as you kind of transition. Um, so, but, but you have to do the work, right? It's, it's never gonna just come easily, just you know, like dealing with a broken arm. It's likely not gonna just heal itself without some kind of support. Even if it's just wrapping a Band-Aid around to keep it in place, you always need some support. So find out what that support is gonna be for you, right? A group, a colleague, a neighbor, you know, maybe even just reading and even following Instagram accounts, you know, Instagram is not therapy, 100%. However, I think even just following positive accounts, you can learn about yourself and, and be open to receiving it. I think that's, that's a pretty big and my answers were kind of scattered because I think everyone is at such a different place that one one type of tool isn't really going to be for everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. I, something that you said really resonated with me, and that's sitting with yourself. Uh, one of my previous guests said something that really stuck with me too, which was get comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. You know, like you have to, you have to do the work like you're saying, and, and it's not always going to feel good. I think people think that those people who go to therapy are just perfect and everything's clear and they have such clarity, but it, it's messy. Would you say it's, it can be messy and that's okay. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and it, progress, you know, it definitely should go up. But then as you go up, it's like, you know, and I know that on a podcast, no one can see what I'm doing with my hands right now, but basically it's not linear. And this isn't a new, this isn't a new phrase. We hear this all the time. Growth isn't linear, but really pause and like actually reflect on that, right? Growth isn't linear, but just because you're not moving up all the time, doesn't mean that you're not growing. Right. Now this brings me, because the way you're describing this, we, this is something worth mentioning. Something that you wrote in your bio that stuck with me too is that sometimes people think that the things that we post on social media can be fluff, like these quotes, like growth isn't linear, healing isn't linear. And, and people may think it's just like a platitude or just like a, you know, just mindless. But what you're saying is if you really stop and think about these sorts of quotes or, or messages, that there really is something there. And something that you do is you, you're science-based, so you're having evidence behind these sorts of things. So you know, someone might say, oh, like, you know, growth isn't linear and they might just, you know, brush it off. But what you're saying is that's where the work comes in, right? You have to sit with that, think about that, apply that to your life and say, well, what does that really mean? And how has that looked for me? And that's when those things stop being fluff and start being actually helpful. Exactly. You, you said it perfectly. Like you literally took the words out of my mouth. Um, so I think a lot of my friends have always complained about seeing things that are 
that are fluffy or just like, you know, let it go or, you know, the things that we know we should do, but it's not really impactful. And, you know, even my, my husband, who's, you know, I think he's like definitely like a science and math person. I think when I was like explaining mental health concepts to him, like I had to like show the research and evidence base and I saw that it resonated so much more. And then I think about my audience and I think my audience are, is our young professionals, right. Who are smart and, and they want to learn. Um, and I think just having that data to show you that there is validity behind these fluffy statements is important. Right. So whenever I post something, for instance, on social media, even if it is coming off as fluffy, I try to always link a research article and a lot of people might not even care about it. Um, but just to show that it's there and that, you know, a lot of therapists, psychologists, researchers are not just saying random things. They're saying things that have been researched based on case studies or theories and, and for, for centuries, you know. So um, and that, that's just for the people who really want it. It be impacted by it. There are some people who actually love the inspiring stuff, like let yourself go, let go of what doesn't serve you. And, and that's great. You know, if it helps you, great. But if you need more, it's, it's available. And I think that's really my mission is to show you that it isn't fluffy. There is validity behind it. And um, we're, we're spending our time messaging that because it's important. Right. And that goes back to my, my respect again for the work that you put into all of your channels, whether it's your website, your Instagram, because some people can just read it and it just hits them, right? They'll say, oh, I needed that. I just needed to see that as my sign for today. But there are going to be those people who are like, well, what does that mean? And like, what do you mean by that? And I love that you provide the, the link. And like you said, maybe even 90% of the people won't click the link. But that 10% who needed more, who needed the convincing or needed the science to back it up for them to un better understand it, or maybe they just needed a bit more it's there for them. And that's what I like have so much respect, like I said before, because you are doing the work and, and it's not always easy. And, and keeping up with the social media these days can be like a, its own full-time job. Yeah, totally. And I, I run my private practice. So, you know, like this week I, I moved and I was doing a lot of back behind the scenes stuff for my private practice. I just like completely ignored my, my Instagram account. But I realized that like for so many people, like that messaging and seeing those reminders is really important. And something that you had said just reminded me, you know, I, I was one of those people who didn't believe in anything that looked, you know, or sounded fluffy. And one example of that is just the use of mantras, right? There is so much science behind how impactful a mantra can be in helping you deal with anxiety, with fear, insecurity. Um, future thinking. And, you know, I, I would always be like, I'm not going to just say a statement over and over again. Like, what does that do for me? So then I dug deep into the research behind it. And apparently it's been happening for hundreds of years. And there is so much science and evidence about why it works and how it really like calms the amygdala, which is like the emotional center of your brain. And I had no idea. And knowing that background information made me want to try it. And now I love it. I'm not doing it every day, but there are times I've done it and I've felt the benefits of it. Um, and I want to be able to bring that awareness to people. And that's just it. And I think, you know, maybe just over the generations and, and over time, things have just been watered down and people maybe just do discard these sorts of things. But it's really cool that when you dive into it, it's really been a lot. It's been around long before us and it'll be around long after us. So the more education we can bring to people, I think that's huge. I think that's key. Okay, so... It's a new year, and we're in the thick of resolution season, which is another thing I go back and forth with, like social media. I have like a love-hate relationship with resolution season, but I think people are naturally inclined to set some goals and some intentions for themselves in the new year. Can you offer any tips for setting achievable goals and sustainable habits versus the ones we give up after a short time, which I'm raising my hand because a lot of years, that's me, so I'm, I'm listening. Me <laughs> <You> too. <laughs> It's, it's been me too. And still sometimes I, I do it where I, I immediately run to make a goal and then I don't, you know, stop and say, okay, what am I doing? And I think a lot of it has to do with being in the present and really just thinking about something. Um, so for instance, when we really want something badly, we will just be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. It's impulsive. But when you're present, you actually stop and think about what the steps are of doing it, what the reason is of doing it, right? Um, and like going to the gym or losing weight or cooking more, all of those are just such big goals. But I think to some people, 
And I think people who are hard on themselves, they won't seem like big goals. They'll just seem like, oh, it's just one thing. Why can't I cook healthier? Why can't I just get up and go to the gym? Because there's so much more behind it. But if you're not present and really breaking it down, you're not going to really get that. So what I encourage all my clients to do is to set micro goals and intentions, which are basically small, really, really small goals that are part of a larger goal and they're achievable and they're not going to let you down and they're still baby steps to getting somewhere. And for a lot of people, well, especially the clients that I work with, baby steps are just like not okay, right? These are high achieving people who are like, well, that this is like so basic, but you know what? To get to a hundred steps, you can't get there without taking one step, right? But oftentimes they want to go from one step to 50, then to hundred. And it just, it doesn't work that way right? I, I wish there was a better way to say it, but it just doesn't work that way. So instead of saying, you know, I want to go to the gym, but maybe like you need to just buy a really good pair of tennis shoes first, right? Like maybe you need to just put it in your calendar. Maybe you need to just like have your power drink ready first. There's so many little things that are going to get you there, but you cannot run before you walk. And I think that's the easiest way to basically disappoint yourself and not achieve the goals that you set. Um, and then the other thing that I've been really focusing on in the past year or so, I guess since COVID is intentions versus goals. So when you're intentional about something, you're present, you put thought into it and you really understand why you're doing it. So are you trying to lose weight because you just want to be skinny? right? You just, you just want to look like this Instagram influencer that you follow who's really skinny, or do you want to feel good in your body? Do you want to love yourself? You know, do you want to feel better physically, right? Like, are you having stomach aches where you need to just like eat better, work out more? You're having back aches. Like think about the intention of why you're doing it. And I think it's easy to skip over the intention because usually the intention is a difficult part. And you said it perfectly, like we're not always comfortable sitting with the uncomfortable. So Basically, I just said a lot of things, but to summarize, to have micro steps in reaching goals and then also having intentions as a way to understand why you want to achieve that goal. I think those are really important things that will help you make sustainable habits versus just like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym or I don't know, I'm going to organize my closet, you know, whatever, whatever the goals are. So so th those two things, I think, are the key for sustainability. Okay, I am a recovering of the former person who wanted to go from step one to 50. So I admit that to you, <laughs> but I've always disappointed myself by doing that because I would, it would be like January 1st or December 31st. And I'm making these like really lofty goals. And, and it's just, I don't know. Well, first of all, it's a new year. So you have this like instinct in you that it's going to be so different that life's going to flip like totally and completely. And that's just not how life goes. We know that like life's not just going to magically change in one year and, and things take time. So same with me during COVID. I've really been doing a lot of work on myself, work on my relationship, and just really starting to go smaller. So I'm trying to go much smaller. So I would always want to take, you know, oh, that's not big enough. Like you're saying, like some of your clients would be like, no, that's like nothing. Like making your bed every day. Okay. Like that's not a big deal, but it is. Okay. Because now my thing is I make my bed every morning. I, I'm big into routine now. My new saying, and, and maybe people think, well, maybe people will think it's fluffy, but you'll find some research for me. I know that routine is medicine and routine for me is medicine. And so I'm getting during COVID because we have like not much else. I'm really into my daily routine, my morning routine, and really just setting up like, like you said, little goals for my day. And the Caitlin before would be like, well, you didn't do anything today. Like that wasn't really a day, but now my perspective is shifting and my mindset is shifting and I'm slowly learning that no, like those things do add up and I'm actually putting myself in a better position to reach my bigger goals. So by living this like routine, healthier lifestyle, I'm setting myself up because, because maybe, you know, because I did work out, my mind is more clear. And because my mind is more clear, I was able to get back to those emails. And by getting back to those emails, now I've booked some podcast guests. So it doesn't, you don't think there's a connection, but you really do have that slow growth. And I'm really, really trying to slow down. I have this uh, elderly neighbor, Miss Sandy. I love her so much. She's 85 years old and she's been in, in her apartment since February 1st. So she hasn't left her apartment at all. So I've become such close friends and I feel safe with her because she hasn't been anywhere. And she's always telling me, Caitlin, you're just like me when I was young, but you have to slow down. And even, wow. and this is out of experience, okay? And that's the, 
I think the greatest teacher in life is experience, whether it's yours or whether you can glean it from somebody else's experience. So she's telling me, you've got to slow down. I'm 85 and I'm, a, I'm 50 years ahead of you. And I'm telling you, you've got to slow down. Like you're going to burn out. It's all going to get done. And she's really been like a real big mentor in my life this year, I have to say. And like it was an you know, a friendship I didn't expect and a relationship I didn't expect during this time. But she is, I really feel like she was put into my life for a reason to be a teacher to me during this time. So what I did with my vision board this year is not, you know, I'm going to save $10,000. I'm going to pay off that entire credit card. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and these huge goals. No, instead, I sat down with my husband and I said, let's make, like you said, intentions. Let's set some intentions of how we want our year to look and to feel like what do we want to get from this year and it wasn't about numbers numbers like haunt me numbers on the scale number of steps you took that day number in your bank account numbers always haunt me so i'm trying to move away from that and into like how do i want to feel and by setting those intentions i'm looking at our vision boards right now in the back of our door and it's it's it feels right it just feels better and they're more long-term goals i'm looking at it and i'm saying some of those things aren't going to happen in the calendar year of 2021 but I'm making small changes, like you said, to get there eventually. And that is freeing for me. I love that. And I can't believe that you were able to recognize how freeing it was for you. And something else that I really love that you said is, you know, when you were talking about connecting the dots, right? Like I'm going to do X thing and then I'm going to feel better. So then I'll be able to do this. I think that is a huge, huge sign of growth because a lot of times we're just so go, go, go that we're not able to see how one thing impacts another thing. So we're not sleeping, right? Or we're drinking a lot of alcohol or we're doing whatever negative behavior, you know, like excessively. And we're not able to see what it's doing to us, right? Because a lot of the changes that are happening when it comes to mental health are internal and invisible. They're not always glaring at you. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're not. So to be able to connect the dots between behaviors is key for continuing them and also just understanding why you have to do this or why you cannot do this. So I love that you were just, you know, able to kind of link the things that you were doing and, and like, that's a really good trajectory to be on. So congrats. Thank you. I feel like this is now, I have now like <laughs> taken over and this is now a therapy session for me. So Doesn't I apologize it feel good? to listeners, but it feels good. It feels good. And, and it's like not easy. Like for anyone listening, I've, the girl I was talking about who I was before, I was her for a long, long, long time. And this person that I'm, you know, aiming to be now is very, very new and I'm just meeting her. So don't think that it's like some quick little thing. It's taken a lot of like growth and a lot of ugly crying, a lot of introspection about like what's really going on. And something that you mentioned too, that jumps out at me was something that I used to do every day was was drink alcohol and I would have a glass of wine and that seems like it's a big like um accepted thing and sort of like glamorized all almost like uh like mommy juice or like yeah like wine like I don't know it's like really in our culture now to be accepted and and I was doing it sort of like because everyone you know like everyone sort of does that from time to time but when I really uh COVID again I have I have to say like COVID did a lot for me personally for growth uh, and I would really look at myself and be like, I just don't feel good by doing this. And so like now I don't drink at all. And I'm not saying it's a forever thing or putting like some sort of like extreme on it. But as of right now, I say like right now it's not helping me with those intentions. It's not helping me set, reach my goals. So for right now, it's in the back seat. Not to say it's forever, but I think that's another thing like and it's again getting back to being comfortable in the uncomfortable. You have to sort of like have those tough conversations with yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think you said it great. And also just, you know, not avoiding that black and white thinking, I think is really important. Kind of how you said, well, you know, this is for right now. This isn't going to be forever because really it's how you feel in the moment, right? And everything passes, whether it's a positive feeling or a negative feeling, every single feeling is transient. So when you feel bad, important to remember that. And also that's a good way to be cognitively flexible, knowing that, okay, if I decide not to do this, I'm allowed to change my mind later. Right. And I think that's a good way to not to avoid disappointing yourself. If you say, well, you know, I'm just not going to drink. And then you end up having a drink and then you say, OK, I can't believe I did that. Right. Just just having that flexibility in your mind that you're human and you're going to have different opinions and evolutions. That's OK. And that's big for me, too, because another thing that I'm guilty of almost my whole life is being very black and white. 
And like, if you said you're going to do it this way, you do it this way. And and once you don't, then you're a hundred percent, I'm like all in or all out. And that's another thing I'm really trying to be. I'm like, you can see my wall is black and white. It's my reminder to tell me that life is not black and white. And my new favorite color is gray. So I try to live in that gray now. (laughs) Gray is my favorite color. So I just love that you said that. Yes. And I think that's great for real life, like in decor in life. But I also think it's a great place to live. And I'm really, really trying to live in that gray, gray area. And it's hard. Well, since I took over and made this about myself entirely, but you showed off your great skills at what you do, let's get into your business and your brand called Being. You are a cognitive behavioral therapist by training, but you also consider yourself a mindfulness mentor, and you have launched your brand, Being, to explore our human emotions through the lens of science. Can you tell us how Being came to be and what your goal is with this platform? Yeah, um, so I guess if... Let me start in 2019, basically, last year. So my husband and I moved from New York City to San Francisco, and that was for his job. Um, And at that time in New York City, I was actually working as a mental health strategy consultant for colleges and universities across the nation. And my job was to really help them revamp their mental health policies and the way that they emotionally support students on campus, off campus, whoever is, you know, a student there. Um, so when we moved, I quit my job in New York City with the hopes of joining one of the many mental health startups that were arising in Silicon Valley, which I was so excited about. Um, but a few weeks after I settled in, COVID really hit the Bay Area. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but it was really a lot in San Francisco before it was anywhere else. Um, so obviously, I didn't know at that time that it was going to be everywhere. But you know, I noticed that offices were closing. Um, My husband became remote with his work. The city became quiet. Like everyone in our complex just started to move out. Um, And then within my own family and friends, I noticed that everyone was kind of struggling for this like new work from home lifestyle. And me being an Enneagram type two, which I don't know if you're familiar, but it's I'm the same. I'm a two. Amazing. (laughs) So you get it. You get it. So I wanted to do my part in helping people cope with, you know, the uncertainty of the new future. And, you know, I don't know how much you know about this in therapy, but uncertainty is generally a topic that comes up a lot in in therapy. And so if you add in a pandemic where every single thing has changed, you know, the conversations were pretty intense. So I think I started off by doing an emotional eating workshop. So I just started offering free virtual workshops on topics that I knew my family and friends were struggling with. Um, Emotional eating, especially because kitchens were now office spaces. Um, A lot of people were having insomnia from just the 24-7 news cycle that was so intense. And then, of course, relationship issues because people were feeling disconnected from others. Um, And then also, if you were quarantining with someone 24-7, that's hard. Um, And then, of course, the topic of self-care. And as I mentioned, it's just so much more than just candles and and bathtubs, you know, really teaching people what self-care is. So those are some of the topics that I started doing and one workshop led to another and I started receiving requests from people all over just asking for more information and you know people were following me on my personal Instagram which was mostly just like my wedding pictures and and my, my nephew or you know nothing related to mental health so anyway that's how I kind of started to put together a mental health account. But interestingly enough, the majority of the people who were reaching out to me were actually high-functioning young professionals. And they, the message that I was hearing over and over again, that they were so used to being on the go that they didn't really know how to slow down and just kind of be during lockdown. And, and being was initially just created as a response to this need to learn how to be, um, if that makes sense. So, so essentially being is a mental health brand and I of course created it initially to explore our emotions, the way that we think, the way we act, we feel all through the lens of science. Um, so really using evidence-based methods to learn about ourselves so then we can actually take care of ourselves. Um, and as I mentioned, my friends would complain all the time about the fluffiness and I really wanted to show that, hey, this stuff is actually backed by scholars and psychologists. And I wanted to make sure that people understood the validity behind like important messages we hear, like living in the present, the power of slowing down and, and taking care of yourself from the inside out. Um, Cause as you know, that's, those are themes that a lot of mental health um, uh, bloggers or Instagrams or psychologist people, they, they show up. So, and I think that really stems from my graduate program, which focused a lot on using public health as a wellness approach. So I always learned to just kind of support my work through research. And I saw that it really, it impacted people kind of knowing that, um, 
and so so now I don't really know I don't necessarily have a full plan for where being is gonna go but it's just that was how it started Wow. And I love that. And it came from a real need. And you just said, you know, I have the ability, I have the education, and I have all the tools I need to get this going that will actually help people in this time. And you just jumped right on it. And I love that tenacity. And I love that ambition to just do it. And you just said, let me go for it. And it's growing and it's helping a lot of people and myself included. So you offer a number of services, including workshops, one-on-one wellness sessions, and a service called Speak Easy. What can people expect from working with you? Yeah, so I focus a lot um, on personal growth and development through, of course, as you know now, a better understanding of our emotions. Um, When I work with my clients, I really encourage them to be authentic, um, vulnerable in order to truly grow. And for some people that might be understanding, you know, your inner child and whatever, you know, issues you experience in developing based on your caregivers or not having needs met. Um, For some people, it's really exploring your identity. And we kind of talked about this earlier, but you know, you're always developing and you're always going through different life stages and it's normal that your identity will change. But I think if you don't acknowledge that portion, I think you end up with a lot of identity confusion. So working on that. And then also a lot of my clients, you know, we will work together to have difficult conversations about how insecurities and fears are impacting you, impacting your work, or even holding you back. Um, So essentially the basis of my work is just recognizing that mental health, the way that you address it, it impacts your entire being. Um, No pun, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll take it. It's a good one. So right now, since it is COVID and everything is virtual, are you taking are you taking new clients and can they be located anywhere? Yes, I, I can. Um, I'm taking them everywhere. So I'm in California right now. Um, and I think through coaching, I'm able to work with clients from, from anywhere um, and not just the states that I'm licensed in, but really anyone. Um, and depending on what it is that person needs, it's like kind of a different kind of thing. So some people kind of just come in for like two, three sessions of consultation to be like, what do I need? Where do I go from here? Um, and then for other people, it's really diving down and, and they just want to work long term. Um, so, so yeah, anywhere. And I am accepting anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Another, another silver lining. I want uh, another silver lining of COVID with we, the connection is there. And with technology, because we live in the time we do, things are possible. And that to me is a silver lining, you know, and I go back and forth with the technology, the social media, but when I have conversations like this with people like you, and when I can really feel a connection, and if you can feel this connection through Zoom, I think that's like a pretty amazing thing, and we should be taking advantage of it. There are resources, you offer a lot, and there are a lot more, I'm sure, out there, depending what people need, um, but they are there if we, if we search for them. Yeah, absolutely, and I think once you get over the Zoom anxiety, because, you know, it is still there. It's obviously not the same as as working one on one with someone. And even where my workspace is, I, I I moved my stuff around to make it really feel like a therapy office because that's as much as I can make people feel like we're in person. Um, but yeah, you're right that we are lucky that we have enough technology to still be able to support people um, despite the circumstances. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Sadaf, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on Wonderfilled Week and sharing your story and your expertise with us. I feel honored to have shared this space with you in this conversation with you. And again, thank you for doing the work you do, especially at a time like this when the world needs it more than ever. I look forward to following you on this journey and I encourage others to do the same. So with that being said, Tell us all the places we can find you, emails, websites, Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, so right now I have my Instagram account, my website that has a lot of resources, um, and then of course my email's always open. Um, I have now added my email to my Instagram, so a bunch of my followers will email me articles or questions, and I love that, I love the conversations. Um, And you know, I think I should make a Twitter account. I don't don't have a Twitter account, I don't know why, but I think I need to make a Twitter account. And so stay tuned for that. (laughs) Yes, I will be staying tuned and I'll be hitting that follow because you know what it is? People are so loyal to the the platform that they love, right? So people who are Instagram people just are on there all day. That's where their screen time is going. But there are that, there is another demographic who just still loves Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll reach them. So I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. I think I have, I have TikTok and I think I have like one video on TikTok. So I think TikTok and Twitter are what I need to tackle next. <laughs> yes, and I and I do think that a trend in TikTok now I'm 150 years old basically compared <laughs> to TikTokers. But I think what the kids are doing, 
there's a lot of uh, mental health stuff, like you're saying, with the new gener- the younger generation of kids. And, and I think they do do a lot of videos. And I think that, again, you're going to hit a new demographic of people because they're solely on TikTok. And you could be doing a lot of creative things. I mean, you have a beautiful space. You are a beautiful person. And you're going to attract a lot, not just with that, but with what you have to say. And like you said, it's not going to be fluff. There's going to be science behind it. And and I think you could reach a new a new demo. Yeah, and I actually love that TikTok especially offers so much mental health stuff. I see so many therapists on there giving the best messages, and I often find myself scrolling through that and learning so much from them, right? I just, I love any platform that you just, like, mutual learning. And even now, even as a therapist, I still think that my clients and my followers teach me so much. Um, And the conversations that I have with them via DM are so inspiring because people are willing to be vulnerable, they're willing to be authentic, they're open, and that teaches me and it's a constant reminder to always try to aim for that. So it's it's mutual. It's really mutual. I think that's, what's going to keep your passion alive in this field is because you're, you're also gaining something from it. And it's not just like this transaction of like money for a service. It's, it's much deeper than that. Um, and you're in it for much different reasons than that. And it shows first of all, with just the passion you speak with, but also all of your work backs that up. And, and I think that's amazing that you're, you, you feel that give and take with your clients. That's a beautiful thing. Enneagram type two. (laughs) Yes. Such, oh my gosh. I knew we'd be fast friends. I was actually so sad when you said you lived in San Francisco. I'm like, please be in LA. What part of LA? Oh, so are I live in? in. Oh, so I never shared, but I do live in LA. Um, oh, yeah. We I moved halfway through COVID because I was remote and my husband was remote. So we're in in Los Angeles. Um, I, yeah, I didn't mention that, but I'm not in San Francisco. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's lucky for me because I'm gonna. We'll, we'll chat after, but we've got to be friends. I mean, <laughs> what else can we do? Enneagrams too, just walking around the world. So we've got to do it together when it's safe too. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I thought it would be best for you to have the final word. Uh, So what message of hope or any message, what message would you like to leave with the listeners today? Hmm. Well, I mean, at this point, you know, we already all know that mental health is really important. I don't need to say that. Everyone knows that. But I think I think it's important to also recognize that not everyone will be able to recognize it or prioritize it fully at, at any given time. So I think I mentioned this a little bit early. I really just encourage building small habits and rituals that will ground you and eventually add up to a lot over time. You cannot expect healing to be overnight. It took years to you know, create certain patterns and thoughts and, and ways for you. So be patient with yourself as, as you make changes and just know that small habits end up being really, really big impact, you know, a big impactful on you, I guess. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so, so much for being on today. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I learned a lot. I had a therapy session and (laughs) others are going to listen, but that's okay. I'm fine with it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate that you're so willing to have these conversations about mental health and, and share resources. I think we need a lot more of that in the world. So I'm grateful that wonderful people exist. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I knew it once, but I forgot